Thanks, mate. Cheers. Might just slide this back, if you don't mind. Get a bit of a runway happening. Um, yeah, as Josh said, my name's Jason. Uh, Fitters is my surname. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I am good friends with your senior pastor, Daryl. Uh, we shared a uh, retreat group together for a number of years, so uh, we had a lot of day conferences, a lot of uh, weeks away and things like that where we ate a lot of food together, and, and he does that very well. Um, and we prayed together and we worshipped together and we studied together, and I even cried in his presence a couple of times because Daryl has that effect on people. Um, but he's a great man of God, and I love and respect him dearly, and um, I'm uh, honoured that you know he would trust uh, you, I guess, with me this morning, um, but I just wanted to say that right from the front, that I love and respect your senior pastor. He does have uh, one character flaw that I need to bring to your attention, and it's quite a severe one. Um, he is a Gold Coast Titan supporter, um, so that is a, a matter of urgent prayer, and I would call you, the church, to go to prayer about that one, um, and hopefully there'll be some you know, redemption and transformation there in the life of your pastor. But it is good to be with you, um, and as I said before, you know, I've had a change of career lately. And, you know, I work now in an environment that, you know, is, is, is not attuned to the gospel or to the things of God, you know, and kind of like a university campus these days, unfortunately. And, um, and it's been enjoyable, but, you know, I have missed pastoring. Um, I do enjoy preaching the word, and um, that's why I'm here today. And um, hopefully by the grace of God, he'll be able to speak through us, through his word, and encourage us as a church this morning. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 to 17. 1 Kings 19 verses 1 to 17. If you're new to church and you don't, you know, know how to navigate your way around the Bible very well, let me just say that, um, let me break it down for you. The first two-thirds of the Bibles, the Old Testament, the remaining third, call that the New. About a third of the way through, if you were to open it up, you'll land close to Kings, all right? So do that. And uh, in the book of Kings, we find an Old Testament prophet by the name of Elijah, okay? And, and to begin a new year, I thought it would be good to look at the life of Elijah and be inspired and motivated by who he is and by his experiences. Because if you know about Elijah you'll know that God used him to do some amazing things. He's done some extraordinary stuff. He is an extraordinary man of God. Very quickly, let me give you a bit of background to uh, his life and lead into the verses we're going to look at this morning. Uh, in 1 Kings 17, you'll read that God used Elijah to announce a great drought that affected the whole land. All right. Further into 1 Kings 17, you'll see that God uses Elijah to uh, raise a young boy from the dead. All right, that's full on. Early 1 Kings uh, 18, um, you will see how God used Elijah to oppose King Ahab, who was the king of northern Israel, uh, a false god named Baal, and around 400 of his prophets. And God used Elijah to do this with what I'll call a bullfight. All right, Elijah has challenged Baal and, and uh, Ahab to this duel where they would lay down this bull as a sacrifice and they would pray to their God and whichever, you know, it was the one true God would come down and consume this offering, this sacrifice of a bull. You know, Elijah gets a little bit, you know, throws a bit of water on there just to spice it up a little bit. And what happens? God consumes that saturated sacrifice. All right, amazing things, amazing stories. At the end of 1 Kings 18, um, you will see that a three-year drought comes to an end because of Elijah's prayer. 
Elijah is an extraordinary man of God. He's done some amazing things. And I thought to kick off a new year, it would be good to have a look at his life and see how we can be inspired, encouraged, motivated to follow God in another year. 2014. Wow. So let's read 1 Kings 19 verses 1. I'll go to either 17 or 18. We'll see how we go along the way. Have a listen to this. Now Ahab, that's the king of North Israel, told Jezebel. For those of you who don't know who Jezebel is, that is his over-opinionated, controlling wife, unfortunately. But one of his wives. But told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That is the prophets who got killed because Jezebel worshipped Baal and obviously respected the prophets. What does Elijah do? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, I've actually been there, bit of a shameless plug there, uh, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard that, that is the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, and here he goes again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as a prophet. And I would appreciate it if you clapped my hands for my effort in pronouncing some of those names just then. 
Thank you. Hey, ah, all good. So good. So good. Let me pray. Father in heaven, firstly, we want to thank you uh, for who you are. Um, you are holy other. You are, um, you are God. You are creator. You are sovereign. You are the reason why we have all that we have. And Father, we want to just acknowledge you and give you thanks and praise for that. Father, we thank you ultimately for Jesus, whom you sent as a gracious and undeserved gift to reveal to us your heart, to offer his life up as a ransom for many by dying on a cross and returning to life victoriously three days later. And Father, we know through your word that those who place faith in him and in his activity upon the cross can indeed receive eternal life and be forgiven of their sin. Jesus is the only payment sufficient for this. And Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. It is without error. We thank you that it is the foundation of our following of you. And God, in a world that is just swirling with opinions and people who are leaning on their own understanding, we thank you that this word is an anchor. It is the rock. And we can base our lives on that today. So Father, help us to understand your word. Help us to apply it. Help me, Father, a, a broken Kiwi preacher, um, to uh, teach and preach in accordance with your word and in a way that builds us up and edifies us as a church this morning. I pray and ask these things in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, in our reading, I think uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that our friend Elijah, this extraordinary man of God, this man who has seen God do amazing things through his ministry, Elijah is not doing very well. He's not doing very well at all. Okay, you understand um, what's going on, all right? He has seen God do amazing things. He has just defeated uh, the, the King Ahab and Baal and his prophets. Jezebel, who worshipped Baal, was not happy about this. She sends a threat. And what happens? It breaks him. It breaks him. He runs away with fear. He runs away with anxiety. He runs away with self-pity. He runs away with hopelessness. He runs away with helplessness. And in fact, he wants to die. And think about this for a second. This extraordinary man of God who has won some amazing battles is then threatened by not the king and his army, but by the king's missus. And it breaks him. Now, look, I'm married. I've got a beautiful wife. Um, and listen, when she throws the threats down, okay, it does motivate me to do things like unload that dishwasher pretty quickly or get myself out on that front yard and start mowing some overgrown grass and stuff like that, all right? But whenever my wife comes at me in a hard way, I'm not running away in fear or with anxiety or with self-pity or wanting to die, all right? I don't do that. I can guarantee you that right now. I love my wife and I'll do anything she tells me, kind of. Um, but in this situation here, the king's wife throws a threat, which in comparison to all that um, Elijah has gone through is very minor. And what happens? Elijah runs with fear, anxiety, sleeping patterns get mixed up, he gets hungry, he becomes suicidal. So this threat that he received, in a way, was like the, and I messed this up in the first service, I said it was like the camel that broke the straw's back. But it's the straw that broke the camel's back, all right? And it just 
sent Elijah over the edge. He took a hit and it sent him over the edge. The Tyndale commentary series actually describes Elijah's condition as manic depression. It describes his condition as manic depression. Deep discouragement or depression is a mental disorder characterized by the inability to concentrate, the loss of sleep or appetite, feelings of extreme sadness, guilt, helplessness, hopelessness, and thoughts of death. And in fact, statistics estimate that in Australia, one out of five Australians will experience a mental illness of some sort during their lives. And what I think is very important for us to remember or to be reminded of today is that the church of Jesus Christ, the army of God, the followers of Jesus are not immune to deep discouragement, to depression, to things along those lines. It is a myth to believe that Christians should be immune to things like this. It is an absolute myth. And to be honest, uh, well, one source that I used when preparing this sermon, he basically says this. He says, I've personally thought that Christians are more likely to be depressed because they truly see the nature of man's sinfulness and they occasionally glimpse what the new creation heaven will be like and therefore compare it to the world that we live in now. And if you begin to do that, mate, I'm getting a bit depressed already. But we all live in this fallen world. We all see sin running rampant in our society. We all experience situations in our life that contribute to discouragement and depression. We're not immune from it. But my fear is that if we find ourselves in an Elijah-like time, that we might do a couple of things. One, Make some decisions that do not honor God. Two, sin. Three, feel like we've disappointed God. Four, think that God's cut us off. Or five, you think that you are not a Christian because of this deep discouragement and depression. And I've wanted to come here today and to encourage anyone who might be in this Elijah-like period. Elijah's in a very dark time of his life. But I'm here to encourage anyone who's in this Elijah-like period, I'm here to let you know that God loves you. He calls you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life, even during times of deep discouragement, depression, and things along those lines. I'm not here to play the role of a psychologist, okay? I'm not here to diagnose people here today. I do have a partnership with uh, the Black Dog Institute. The NRL is linked up with Black Dog, and we deliver mental health um, awareness seminars to footy clubs all over the country. So I'm trained to do that, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm just someone that's got a big mouth and can deliver a couple of messages, you know? Um, But I'm not here to diagnose, but I'm here to let you know that in light of this period of time that Elijah finds himself and how God deals with him during that time is extremely encouraging for anybody who is currently experiencing or has been in an Elijah-like period and is maybe still carrying some guilt, some baggage from that period. 
And I want to look into that a little bit more this morning. But before I do, I've got a little picture to show you. Um, this picture here, if you can see it, is actually a picture of my very first church as a pastor. Okay? Um, for the last seven years, I've been at Cleveland and... You know, it's probably roughly the same size as you guys. I mean, all, all congregations together. Um, but this is my first church. You know, I went through Bible college, uh, 2000, 2001, 2002. Graduated only by the grace of God. Um, it was finally good to leave an educational institution without being asked to. You know, that was a, that was a great achievement. Um, and uh, I finished Bible college. And toward the, in the last year of my time at Bible college, you know, I sensed God telling me, go and plant a church, go and plant a church. And I don't know if you know much about Bible college students, but when you get about halfway through or into your final year, we just get to this point where we know everything. You know? We've got our theology right. We know what it takes to reach the world and to bring about change. And, and that was me, you know? Um, I, I, let me go back a bit further. Uh, as I said to you, I was born in New Zealand, very dysfunctional background, a lot of abuse, broken home. Um, I'm actually a rehabilitated drug addict as well. Uh, God saved me in a, in a tremendous way and transformed my life um, and then called me to ministry. Um, and then obviously I went to Bible college and, um, and then when I came out of Bible college, I'm like, man, I got the skills, I got the testimony. Look out, world, here I come. Went to plant a church, this was it. But guess what? My arrogance, my ego, my naivety in doing this resulted in me being chewed up and spat out. I went to a very difficult area, low socioeconomic, very multicultural. And, um, you know, I thought I had all the answers, but I didn't. And as a result of this, I experienced pastoral burnout. So, uh, you know, a year after I finished college, uh, I was not well, not well. Uh, I was fragile. I had erratic behavior. I had behavioral issues, should I say. Uh, my sleeping patterns were whacked. I wasn't eating properly. I was unable to turn to God in those times for faith and for strength. I relied on my own abilities. I sinned. I sinned. And then in light of that, I did feel like I was without help and I was hopeless. And, and there was even a time where I tried to end everything. I was suicidal. But after receiving some help and getting some pastoral care, I um, was able to sort a few things out. You know, since then, you know, God's been uh, extremely gracious. You know, he's blessed me with a beautiful wife and three little Satan incarnates and um, no, I'm just kidding I'm just kidding three beautiful children and um, and called me to ministry and yeah he's he's been doing amazing things but even to this very day I still experience times of discouragement depression my sleeping still a bit all over the place um, you know sometimes there are those patches today and guys I want to stick my neck out this morning and I want to say, I don't think I'm alone. I think there are a number of you in this place this morning who have either been in or are currently in an Elijah-like experience. You're fragile. You're tired. You're hungry. That always happens, but you know what I'm saying. Your appetite's messed up. You feel like you know, you're worthless. You've got no hope. Nothing to offer. What's my role? What's my purpose? I reckon there are a lot of you in that boat today. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you by looking at how God dealt with Elijah. Because Elijah was in that boat too. 
and how did God deal with them? So let's spend some time doing that this morning. So go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18, and we'll go to the next slide, please, boys. And also, we'll, go, we'll skip the first point. So if you can bring the next one up, because God obviously... Uh, sent angels to assist in this process before he intervened directly as well. He's going to talk a bit about the role of angels and, 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 and the part they play and our overall care and protection and so on. But the first thing I want to share with you about how God dealt with Elijah this morning is simply this. God allowed Elijah proper time to rest and recover. All right. God ensured that this would take place. Now, just think about this for a second. Elijah, extraordinary man of God, achieved a whole lot. He won some great battles. I reckon he'd be one of God's, you know, supreme soldiers. All right. What happens? Elijah begins to battle some personal demons. He begins to struggle a little bit. He withdraws from the front line. He goes away. He sleeps. How did God deal with Elijah? Well, I'll tell you how he didn't deal with Elijah. He didn't say, you know what, Elijah, you've done great. I've got four good years out of you. Thanks a lot, buddy. But I now need to find myself another Elijah-like guy. He didn't do that. He didn't say, oh, Elijah, that's a real shame. I had big things in store for you. You know, you, you had the world at your feet, mate. But now, oh, look at it, you know, I'm oh, sorry, I'm going to have to cut you loose. He didn't do that. What does God do? He allows Elijah the proper time to rest, to eat, and to recover. Archibald Hart, the great, um, uh, the great psychologist from Fuller Theological Seminary, he says that pastors are vulnerable after preaching the word of God. My advice to them, he says, is not to resign on a Monday. Okay, if you've been in pastoral ministry before, you'd be aware of the holy hangovers that come around on Mondays and, and things like that, all right? But with that in mind, you picture how Elijah was feeling. He had just seen God deliver. You know what I'm saying? It was a bullfight, ultimate challenge of faith. God came through. I don't know about you, man, but that, that, that would fuel some excitement. Then there's the come down day. Elijah was extremely vulnerable and it took a threat from King Ahab's missus to, to really break him. He drifts off. He starts his journey. He's deeply discouraged. But God gives him the proper time to rest and recover. Pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, um, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ ambassadors, student life people, anyone that's operating you know, in a ministerial point of view, we're all vulnerable to this. In life in general, we're all, you know, in order to honor God, we frantically work burning the candle at both ends. But let me tell you something. God wants us for the long term and not the short term. And if, you know, any of you have been burning the candle at both ends and you wore yourself out and got a bit of burnout and you've made some decisions like maybe pulling out of a ministry or maybe your Bible reading, you know, is getting, getting a bit poor, all right? You know, I started this Bible reading plan on my version app, all right? We're like January 19 and I'm still up to January 2, unfortunately. Um, not real good. I will get to the end at the right time though. Don't worry about that, people. All right. I will land at the right. I'm freeing some of you up here this morning. So I know you're all in that boat too. Anyways, um, but God is allowing Elijah the right time to recover, the, the appropriate time to rest. And if you've been in that position where you've worked yourself frantically and you've made decisions and you pulled out and you've been feeling guilty, carrying baggage about that, well, let me tell you something. God's cool. 
He, I believe, even though this is directly to Elijah, and it doesn't mean that we get to be treated that way straight away, but I think God would want you to rest and recover as well. He wants you for the long term and not the short term. And get a load of this. After Elijah travels for his 40 days and arrives at his destination, what do we see? Well, we see that God was there. He was there. God didn't say, man, it's been 33 days now. I'm giving up on this guy. I'm bailing on him. God was there. God was there. Another way that uh, God dealt with Elijah during this very dark and depressing time of his life was that God came to him in a whisper. God came to him in a whisper. Let me explain what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, Elijah arrives at Mount uh, Horeb, which is the mountain of God, the mountain of Revelation. God had, you know, developed this reputation of making appearances here, and he was about to do so again. We're set up for another theophany, another awesome revelation from God, okay? And um, obviously, Elijah was told to go there. The Lord was about to pass by, um, and guess what happens? Well, there was a mighty wind shattered the rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake, hard to miss one of them, all right? God wasn't in that. There was fire, guess what? God wasn't in the fire. But then there came a gentle whisper. What that says to me is, well, in my own personal life, when I'm seeking God about something at any time in my life, all right, I'm after something pretty clear. You know, I, I, I'd like an email, a text message, FaceTime me, do something, God. You know, send me a Snapchat, even with a picture of what this could look like. I'm after something. But what this tells me is that God doesn't always speak through the spectacular. God doesn't always speak through some amazing revelation. Are you feeling me here? Am I the only one that seeks for God and big things like that? Am I the only one that forgets that God also comes to us in a gentle whisper? And that gentle whisper could be a number of things. It could be today. Uh, maybe after a service, you know, a dear old member of the church is having a chat with you and he or she just says this one line and without even thinking about it, they go and that one line just sticks in your head because it's related to, to where you're at and to, you know, what you're going through could be a gentle whisper. Maybe it's a pastoral rebuke. Maybe from Pastor Daryl. He's pretty good at that. He's put me in my place a couple of times. You know, It could be a number of things. But when we are experiencing an Elijah-like time in our lives, God sends beings to help. He gives us the time that we require to recover. And he also reveals himself to us in many ways and sometimes it can be as simple as a gentle whisper we work so frantically trying to honor god to uh, sort our own problems out we get so busy that we drown out what could be a gentle whisper from our heavenly father god revealed himself in a gentle whisper another thing and i love this another way that god deals with elijah and i got two more and then i'll wrap this bad boy up um two more is that god wants Elijah to speak. If you have a look at verse 13, he basically asks Elijah a question, giving Elijah the opportunity to express his feelings, to unload his frustrations, to bring himself before God and say, I ain't doing too well here. And more often than not, you know, I think sometimes we, we, we shape our prayer life so much 
on like maybe a, a system, acts. All right, I'm going to pray and I'll have a time of adoration. Okay, done. Now confession, now thanksgiving, now supplication. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we don't want to use the act system. Sometimes we are so discouraged, we are depressed, we are tired, we are hungry, we are without hope, we feel like not even being here anymore. And I'm telling you, when you go into God to pray to Him about this, mate, I think God's able to handle a little bit of frustration in your prayer. And this is the case for Elijah. He unloads his feelings, he expresses the way how he feels. Guys, this is a great example for us, you know? Sometimes we can be too cool and you know, too macho to open up and express our feelings. You know, the young fellows don't want to do that because they think the girls like them looking tough and strong and all that kind of jazz, you know. Um, but I think God's capable of handling all kinds of prayers. This holy other, sovereign God, creator of all things, is bigger than our feelings, our emotions. And if that is what comes through in our prayer, I think he can handle it. You look at the book of Ecclesiastes. It's full of statements about despair. And disillusionment. Think about the prayer of um, despair from uh, David in Psalm 40. Okay? Have a read of that prayer later on today. Okay? Prayer of despair. What about Jeremiah in chapter 20? 20 verse 7. All right? He basically accuses God of deceiving him. I don't know if I'd go that far in my prayers, ladies and gentlemen. But Elijah busts out this accusation in prayer. My point is, make sure you respect our Heavenly Father when you speak to Him, but He can handle whatever you're going through. And if you are in an Elijah-like time in your life, and you're hurting, you're lonely, you're without hope, you're frustrated, you're not well, God wants you to bring that to Him. He wants to hear that from you, and He wants to minister to your heart, to your spirit. God allowed Elijah time to rest. God came to him in a gentle whisper. God gave Elijah an opportunity to speak openly, honestly, frankly. And finally, God called Elijah to serve. He called him to serve once again. I guess in a sense you could say that Elijah was recommissioned. He was recommissioned. And if there is anyone here today, and I reckon there is, if there is anyone here today that is in an Elijah-like experience or has been in one and still carrying some guilt, some sorrow, some baggage from that, this is, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to grab. This is where I want you to land. In spite of Elijah's struggles, God still had a plan for him. God gave him new directions, new instructions, and he recommissioned him for his will. When we are discouraged, the evil one would always have us believe that God could not and will not use us. Too often we think that times of personal struggle and maybe you've sinned during that time. Too often when we go through that, we think, well, that eliminates me from service. That eliminates me from being used by God to bring himself glory and honor. Yet, remarkable enough, the opposite is often true. And it's amazing how God can use our suffering, our struggles, our times of trials to minister to other people. I think you had a sermon here toward the end of last year about um, 
God's purpose in suffering, I think it was. Um, you know, I listened to that on your website. I'd encourage you to listen to that again because, you know, it, it, it's about that. Paul talks about this as well uh, in one of his epistles, I believe it's the Corinthians, where he talks about suffering and how we can use what we've learned in our suffering to be a blessing to those who are suffering as well. But what I really want you guys to understand is that Elijah received a new call. He was recommissioned. And some of you may be in that boat. You might, you might be like Elijah and you've withdrawn from something. You've, you've handed over a ministry and maybe during this time of darkness, you know, you've sinned. Maybe you're thinking, well, God's not going to use me now. I've rendered myself useless. Well, you're in Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ by placing your faith in what he did and accepting that gracious free gift. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Richard Baxter, the English Puritan, he often ministered to people in the spiritual position in life, okay? Um, spiritually depressed, deeply discouraged, and so on. And, and without speaking ill against Baxter, because I love Baxter, I've read a lot of his material, I've used a lot of it, but he said something about this that troubled me, and it's troubled a lot of other people, okay? And once again, please don't think that, you know, I'm one of these guys who likes to bash our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ just because we don't have 100% agreement on stuff. But he said something that troubled me about those who are in a place of deep discouragement and depression. He says this, he goes, Delighting in God and in his words and ways is the flower or the fruit or the evidence and life of true religion or Christianity. So basically what he's saying is delight, an attitude of delight is the flower, fruit or evidence of your Christianity. And if you are not delighting, in those things, because he goes on to say, those who I speak of, that is those in this very dark position, uh, can delight in nothing, neither God, his word, or his duty. And, you know, this Baxter's intent may not have been as, it is, as it's perceived to be, but it can be. And if people think, well, my deep discouragement, my depression, does that mean you know, if, if there's no flower, if there's no fruit, if there's no evidence there, the delighting, what does that mean for me? Does that mean I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian? Does that mean that God's forsaken me? And then, you know, yeah, it fuels questions like, well, if you are discouraged, if you are depressed, where is the joy of the Lord? Don't you know that there is a spring flowing up within you? Like living water, you know, and you might be sitting there thinking, man, I ain't got no spring flowing up within me. All right, and sometimes I don't feel joyful. And then that can really play on your mind. But what I think, hopefully what I think could be coming out of this is, is that everybody, that is those who have placed their faith in Christ, have this seed that God can nurture and grow to flower, to bear fruit, to be evidence, and so on. And when you look at the life of Elijah and what he's gone through as someone who's been in a similar situation, and if there's anyone out there as well who can shout a hearty amen to this sermon, we're deeply encouraged by how God dealt with Elijah. How did he deal with Elijah? Well, he sent angelic help, gave him time to rest, revealed himself as a gentle whisper, um, allowed Elijah to speak, and recommissioned him and recommissioned him. Am I the only one here today that's either had or from time to time 
has an Elijah-like experience? I think not. If that is you, or if you have been there and you've made some decisions that you've kind of felt bad about and you haven't yet exchanged that guilt for grace, I believe I got a word from the Lord for you. And in light of what we read from Kings and in the life of Elijah, we know that God ain't interested in cutting you off. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's given you time to rest and recover, and he wants to recommission you. He wants to recommission you. And today could be that day where maybe either, uh, if you've been there, you just let that baggage go. If it's affected the way you view yourself in Christ or how effective you think you can be for ministry and it's tainted it in a negative way, today could be the day where you just lay that down and become free from that and move forward. If some of you are thinking, you know what, I really miss doing what I was doing, i.e. a ministry, but, you know, there's no way I could do that again. You know, I'd probably fail or maybe the church will struggle to trust me now because I've already, you know, kind of gone down that path and maybe they want me to do a psych test or something and I'm just not up for that, you know. Um, maybe today's the day just to go, God, you know, I'm not sure if I'm willing, but I'm willing to be made willing <laughs> or something along those lines, you know. Maybe, maybe today is a new day. I mean, seriously, if you've got, if you have, let's say, the medical issue, then obviously you'd seek further help, okay? But when it comes to your spiritual life and how it impacts your service to the king, maybe it's time to be recommissioned. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to spend some time praying this morning. And what I want to do is I just want to pray quickly. And then I'm going to give you guys uh, a couple of minutes to pray where you are. Mate, if we could get some musos up and get a guitar playing or a keyboard or even someone beatbox, I'd put up with that for crying out loud. But if, if someone could come up, what I want to do is, um, is, is I'll pray. And if you know all about this Elijah-like experience, and if it has still got itself latched onto you and it's affecting the way you serve our King, can I encourage you to take time today to pray and to, I won't say offer yourself afresh because in Christ there's no need to do that. You know, we are his, we are covered by his blood, not how happy or sad or capable or whatever we are, okay? But come to him afresh and say, God, that stuff that, that I experienced, that stuff that, you know, I messed up with, um, these thoughts I have about myself, my own giftings, my own abilities that are not honoring you, um, I just want to lay that down today. And I'm willing to, to just do whatever it is you're calling me to do. So I'm going to pray, and as the musicians play, you know, you can have time to pray there as well. And, and mate, if, if, if you know where I'm coming from today, man, today's a new day. It's a brighter day. It's a brighter day. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning as, um, as broken people, living in these broken bodies, where every single word, thought, and deed has been marred and tainted by sin. And Father, we thank you that in Christ, our sins have been forgiven, have been washed clean. But when we see the sin in our own life and when we see how sin impacts our bodies, Father, we hold on to that and it begins to break us down. But God, today, we want, we want to let that go. We want to bring that to the foot of the cross. We want to receive grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. And if there's a need there to be recommissioned, Father, we're up for new instructions. God, I want to pray for anyone who knows all about this Elijah-like experience. 
And God, as they come to you now with their hurts, with their pains, with their griefs, with their concerns, as they come to you honestly and openly, Father, I pray you would hear them and meet them right there where they're at this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're a gracious God and you have decided to not give us what our sins deserve, but instead send Jesus. And we're, we're, Father, we are just blown away by your amazing grace and we know that continues. So, Father, thank you. Be with those who have prayed to you this morning. And God, may this be a new day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord bless you, church. Thank you.